0: ESA Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Simpoesi streaming to you from the Gerigal land of the Eora Nation. My name is Ira and I am joined in the studio this morning by sound artist and musician Alexandra Spence and installation and visual artist Elia Bossert to talk about their recent collaboration on a work titled Edge of a Cloud, which will soon be presented at the Phoenix Central Park. Edge of a Cloud is an audiovisual performance that creates an interplay between light and sound. It explores the dynamic and ephemeral aspects of light and sound to offer breath, movement and sentience to non-human forms and objects. Alex, Elia, good morning. Thank you for joining us on Eastside. Good morning. Hello. How has your morning been so far? What are your Monday mornings usually like, Alex?
1: Um, This morning was very abnormal. I came to Bondi earlier and went for a run and then went for a swim. Wow. And then got a coffee. It was amazing.
0: It was so energetic. What (laughs) What is the ocean like this morning?
1: It's cold. It's very cold but refreshing. Yeah, it's quite still. So I would recommend if anyone has time to make it to Bondi today, it's very beautiful.
0: Uh, you say that it's a bit often unlike morning or Monday morning, but swims are usually are something that you do quite regularly.
1: Yeah, I, um, my car's been um, at the mechanic for two months now, so I haven't been able to go for a swim, but I do like to wake up early and drive to Clavelli when I can. Um, otherwise, I really like early mornings, so I do generally wake up early and try and often read theory or something, actually. <laughs> um, sneak in some hours before I have to do other work.
0: Mm. What about you, Elia? Any swims this morning? I wish. Uh, no. Monday's a very
2: um, kind of a boring sort of morning in the sense of just getting up early, having two coffees and then getting straight into the emails. <laughs> but, you know, you get it done early and then the rest of the day is much more enjoyable. So, yeah. But mm. I love, Alex, your morning sounds absolutely <laughs> divine. <laughs> Jumping into a book oh, with a fresh mind.
0: <laughs> yeah, I give my best hours to, <laughs> to the fun things. Very wise, I think. <laughs> And speaking about the book and the theories that you read, Edge of a Cloud is a line that is actually taken from a book. Uh, mm-hmm. It is a text by Virginia Woolf called The Waves. So tell us a bit about the origin of the idea for this work, which was in part inspired by reading.
1: Yeah, it's really hard to to trace as these things often are. They're kind of influenced by a mix of different things at the one time. Um, with this particular work, I I initially actually thought it was going to be about trees, um, <laughs> and I was really interested in um, using contact mics to record the creaks and groans of trees, and wanted to explore um, animation within um, flora. But then I I guess that kind of segued into animation of um, material, so other other things, rubbish, materials, or everyday objects and surfaces. Um, At the time, I had been reading a lot of Virginia Woolf, just coincidentally, and um, really, really enjoyed these little kind of prologues at the beginning of the chapter in the book, The Waves. So sorry, before every chapter, there's a little prologue, and she kind of runs through, um, or it kind of sets the scene I suppose so the prologues have nothing to do with what's coming in the chapter in terms of the character development but it's it's framing the work by telling you about the landscape and what the ocean's doing and what the light is doing and how the the blinds in the house are rustling or the bird outside is singing and so it's all about kind of animation Mm. of non-human things
0: Mm. which I really enjoyed. And there's a particular part of this text that you have highlighted, crossing other lines <laughs> that weren't so relevant. And I'd love uh, to hear you read those as an um, leadway into talking more about the work. Yeah. So this is Alexandra Spence on ESA Radio, reading a part of a prologue by Virginia Woolf from her text, The Waves.
1: Edge of a cloud, slice of light, quivering blue, crisped in the sun, rustled stiffly, paused in their song, glutted with sound, far hum in the distance, tremor of fine wings, river water held the reeds, the waves massed themselves, curved their backs and crashed, left pools inland, blue waves, green waves, a faint black rim, Marked with red clefts. Now sang a strain or two together. And were suddenly silent. The light touched something green. Lump of emerald. A cave of pure green. Stitched white table. Fine gold wires. Flowers green-veined and quivering. Peeling a faint carillon. Concussion of the waves breaking. Fell with muffled thuds. Mm.
0: So you selected these particular short sentences, phrases. What was this selection based on? So to read a little bit, I've got the the
1: actual text in front of me. Um, So I started with Edge of a Cloud, but the full (coughs) sentence is, The sun no longer stood in the middle of the sky, Its light slanted, falling obliquely. Here it caught on the edge of a cloud And burnt it into a slice of light. So I was um, going through the text and um, highlighting all the sections that referred to light, colour or sound.
0: Mm. And you then used them as an inspiration for creation of sound. Is that how it worked?
1: Mm, Loosely, I guess. I don't, uh, maybe not so, um, so obviously, I guess I was just more inspired by the way that it was animating things and took inspiration Mm. from that. Um, And the work also, I suppose, became quite influenced by um, ocean themes. Yeah. Um, But I actually really like also the way that this text kind of matches up with a section of Vibrant Matter by Jane Bennett. There's a bit, um, if it's okay to read another section, um, there's a bit where... Jane Bennett, who wrote this book, Vibrant Matter, talks about objects that she sees lying on the side of the street. She says, On a sunny Tuesday morning, in the grate over the storm drain, there was one large men's black plastic work glove, one dense mat of oak pollen, one unblemished dead rat, one white plastic bottle cap, one smooth stick of wood. So I suppose I enjoy this kind of like listing things Mm. as well. And the way uh, Jane Bennett talks about this a lot, how this kind of random and banal selection of things altogether can offer something new as a whole.
0: Mm. At the time of developing this piece early on, you were also interested in waste and the litter. So what is the connection that you see between this understanding of Objects around us, non-organic world around us is having agency and the way that we waste and litter. Uh, yeah,
1: this is something that Jane Bennett also kind of speaks to that I think I took a lot of influence from is just that if we consider things as having more agency, we start to treat them differently. Mm-hmm. I feel. Um, and I think of sound in a similar way, the way the way that sound can animate objects through resonance and vibration kind of allows us to perceive these objects in different ways mm-hmm. um, and extending to to waste matter. Maybe that means that we actually, you know, reuse or recycle or dispose of things mm-hmm. um, rather than just discarding and, and not thinking any further about it.
0: Mm. And is this reuse and recycling something that you employ in the way that you produce sound by using these objects that maybe would be waste material as material to produce sound from? I have done. Yeah, there was, um, I mean, in this piece, there's
1: a piece of perspex that I got from Reverse Garbage. I went and bought a few pieces of plastic perspex and that's being used as an instrument with transducers attached to it. And also some sticks of bamboo that were, um, well, they're not exactly rubbish, but they came from Bunnings. I think they're kind of like a gardening tool to keep your flowers straight, (laughs) that kind of
0: thing. Yeah. And Elia, how early on in this process were you contacted by Alex as collaborator? And was the light element of the work from very beginning clear to you, Alex, that this is something that you want to include as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. I um, I really wanted to create... I think I get frustrated a little bit by the way that sound performance is often presented or music performance is presented without as much thought about the overall aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Um, like often as a musician, you're performing and someone just randomly turns up and starts projecting <laughs> visuals behind you that you haven't seen before and they've never heard your work before. And so I just think that sometimes there's not as much thought put into the overall performance as much. And so, yeah, I was really keen to work with lighting as a a major element and Elia was, yeah, came to mind kind of immediately.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, light was definitely right from the beginning. And, um, I mean, the theatre space that this piece was originally planned for as well had particular, I guess, limitations in terms of what we could bring onto the stage visually And for me, it was a bit of a challenge in terms of thinking about light as an installation because I work with three-dimensional space and objects. And so trying to think of light not as a light source that highlights something visually, but can become something dimensional in itself. So thinking of light as an object. Um, And so from the very beginning, that was, I guess, where we started, but Alex was developing the, the sound work when I came in, and so it was, I would say, a lot of back and forth. Actually, the first time that we um, went into the development together, Alex had all of these uh, objects and instruments set up in the theatre and just took me through everything, and it was really fun. <laughs> I felt like I became like an experimental percussionist for the day. Um, a bit childlike just wanting to touch everything and hit things and understand how transducers and contact microphones work and uh, it was really playful it was just yeah and even just picking up the objects like a symbol that was hanging there and um, you know turning it in the light and seeing how it reflected and already at the beginning considering the objects that Alex is using as instruments as sound sources as uh, also part of the visual sculpture I suppose yeah. And um the perspex, the way that Alex uses the perspex as an instrument is very uh it it's very beautiful because when it moves, the perspex bends and creates this curve which catches the light and the light splays out onto the room, um, onto the ceiling. And so just using trying to find those sort of connections between the visual um I don't know, those those little like sort of sparkling surprise moments visually um, mm. with what was a surprise in the sound as well. I mean, mm. I've never seen Perspex played, let alone like that. <laughs> it was a, very calming. <laughs> so for me, I really wanted to try. I was responding to what Alex was inventing um, throughout this process as well, how to use light as a structure, really, that responded to the sounds that were being produced. And mm. then gradually, as the composition developed, we, uh, I guess, cemented the piece more um, formally. Yeah.
0: Mm.
1: yeah, I think around the time when we first started working, Elia had been making these beautiful um, installations in space using fishing line. Mm. So yeah. there was something really nice about... The way that you can use objects to create something really ephemeral, or some kind of tension between like the physicality of something existing in a tangible way and then also the responsive, like the light and the sound being really ephemeral.
2: Yes, Uh, I guess. Well, with those fishing line installations, they unfortunately take like a week to install. <laughs>
0: the last one I did,
2: I literally ran a marathon length <laughs> up and down the ladder to install it. So for this, we had to find something that was able to be performed in a variety of spaces. But yeah, really from the beginning, it was like thinking of light as a structure, but it took a bit of time for us to figure out what that really could look like mm. and... um In the performance, we're using projected light, so from a projector, not through lighting fixtures, and using haze to create what looks like a a solid sort of structure, but then that's able to shift and change and disappear completely. Um, So I guess tapping into that idea Alex was mentioning before about animating objects and um, giving life to something that appears solid and static and allowing it to shift and change and have a life of its own in a way
1: Mm. Mm. yeah and I think also yeah I don't know I think maybe the work started being a bit about objects and then at least the way I think about it now it's more about atmospheres or something or like
2: yeah yeah.
1: Mm. I feel like your work Elia works with architecture of space and kind of um, and a lot of my work also with field recordings is about um, space
2: and place. And mm. so, yeah. Mm. Yeah, the projections, once we started to really... oh Alex shared a lot of the readings that she had been doing with me as well. And um, when she sent me the text that she's just read from Virginia Woolf, um, I came here to Bondi, actually, and started filming Waves mm. and... Then I projected the waves through the haze and it started to create this really interesting lighting effect where the wave, it's like you could feel the motion of the wave but you weren't seeing the actual wave. I guess to explain, I didn't mention (laughs) this before, but you don't really see the projected image so much as you would see it projected onto a flat surface like a screen. It's more you're seeing the light being projected through Smoke, So you're looking at the projector light on the side rather than face on. And so when a wave rushes through the projector, it's like this light is falling from above and then sort of splaying out and scattering into darkness again. And then there's the repeated motion of that um, as waves do repeat themselves, but never the same. And so... That was again just a nice little tie into um, this idea of like structure, but then like the organicness within mm. a form. Yeah. Mm.
0: When you speak about atmosphere, what will uh, be the mode of experiencing this work for the listener or the viewer or the receiver of the work? How are you going to design the space so this atmosphere is really felt? Yeah, I think, I think it's
1: really important. For me to create a focused space, just thinking about the the sound and the listening aspect, it's something that you can sit in, and yeah that that is quite meditative and comfortable to be in, and finding a way to work with this space that's quite unusual and very beautiful, um, but to make it also inviting and comfortable, and yeah,
0: mm. is there a sense at all of an underwater kind of feeling of listening that you may be looking into? Because you were at one point speaking about this idea of sound as touch, as a form of touch, which is the way that we listen underwater. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is the first experience of listening that we have as babies as well, as Mm -hmm. unborn. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's interesting. I think sometimes these different like you just touched on this piece of writing that I did for um, ADSR zine uh, that Elia and James Hazel put together and um, it was a bit of writing that I wrote during lockdown I believe when I was thinking a lot about sound as a connective force and um, as sound as vibration and how that can like physically touch our bodies in a time when we weren't really able to touch each other um and yeah apparently sound is one of the first faculties that develops when we're in the womb and we hear sound through the the fluid and it um the mother's voice travels down her bones basically through the spinal cord and to the womb um so we're hearing sound through vibration and that's also when we're swimming we hear through vibration of the cochlea so i think that's That's been something I've thought of. It's not been something I've directly thought of in relation to this work. But I think these things always influence each other in a funny way, even if it's not clear to the person. And sometimes these things are more clear to the audience than they are (laughs) to the person making the work, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some field recordings in the work that are recorded using hydrophones of watery spaces. So there definitely is... Like that's a very, uh, yes, obvious (laughs) way of hearing underwater. There are literal underwater recordings in the work. Mm -hmm.
0: I feel there's
2: also a sense of, um, I hope I can say this, (laughs) it doesn't reveal too much, but um, Alex does read some text in the performance Mm -hmm. similar to the text that you just read aloud before. And so for me, I feel like that's a bit like, when you're listening to a story, and you just your mind goes into that dreamlike place of being mm. taken into another environment. Um, yeah, it's a very beautiful part of the piece.
0: Mm. The reason why I asked the question about design of the space for the audience in the way that we will perceive the work is because I overheard you speaking and I don't know if I can mention that um, about the particular way of sitting or being positioned in the space and contemplations and conversations the two of you had in considering what would be the best way for the audience to experience the work, whether standing, sitting or in a particular physical position (laughs)
2: Well, we're still in development, um, but we have considered, well, Phoenix is such a, it is such a particular um, arrangement of space and it's really, like what we were really attracted to with Phoenix was how intimate it can feel in that space because the audience is surrounding the stage area and so that's definitely an aspect that we want to enhance is how to create that sense of intimacy and being within the sound, and then with the projections also um, being within the within the visual space as well um, and well, let's just say we're going to try and see if we can make it a very grounded performance. Mm. A <laughs> very cozy, comfortable uh, yeah. listening, viewing experience.
1: <laughs> I think there's also something really interesting with Phoenix where you walk down yes. into the space, right? Yeah. Which is kind of could be a kind of submerging.
0: Oh, ah yeah. I love that. <laughs>
2: yes, totally. <laughs>
0: So we are talking about uh, Phoenix Central Park, which is the venue where Edge of a Cloud will be presented end of November this year, 28th of November. mm -hmm. Uh, You're on Radio 89.7 FM. We are in conversation with sound artist and musician Alexandra Spence and installation artist and visual artist Elia Bossert, who are uh, telling us more about this collaboration. One of the quotes, Alex, that you are inspired by, talking about many texts that (laughs) you read uh, on your Monday mornings, uh, is uh, by David Abram. And he says, if we speak of things as inert or inanimate objects, we deny their ability to actively engage and interact with us. And this interconnectedness and breaking of this object, subject division is something that you are, interested in and passionate about and is a core theme of this work and then I'm curious given that you are playing and sonifying objects and you at the same time want to speak about their own agency I wonder whether you ever feel or experience that at the same time as you play them, they play you
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean I think definitely with the Perspex piece because it's such a um... So yeah to explain a little bit it's a it's a piece of perspex that's about the length of my arm span and um it's got two transducers attached to it so they're sending sound into the plastic and it's quite a physical thing to play cuz it's it makes me stretch my arms out all the way and <laughs> and to move it i have to kind of like almost flap <laughs>
2: very gentle flap (laughs) Um,
1: but with that one it's definitely like I'm really listening intently like the way that it moves so I've got two different sounds being sent to each speaker and when they travel through the material they connect in certain places along the material and the the sound changes according to how they're connecting with each other, these two different tones. And that's very much me being forced to work with the material. The material's kind of guiding, like, this is where Mm. (laughs) the good spot is, or do, you know, yeah.
0: Mm. So given that you're mentioning attentive listening, uh, is the, the work composed or improvised or a combination of the two?
1: Yeah, it's kind of, I guess a combination of the two maybe more composed than improvised it's definitely structured Mm -hmm. so it's um, and also to work with the lighting it's got like a fixed time um, so it fits it syncs nicely with what's going on visually as well Um, so I kind of have different Uh, I guess I do this a lot when I perform. I've got like a a score, Mm -hmm. which isn't time-based or it's not notated. It's more like an instruction, like play this thing and then play this thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So so it's quite structured, but depending on how each sound or material is responding, I can stretch or shorten different areas.
0: Mm. And what are some of the other objects that you're working with? beside the ones that you have mentioned so far?
1: Um, Yeah, so for this one, there's perspex, some pieces of bamboo sticks, tuning forks, which have become kind of a staple for me, uh, and some rocks.
2: The rocks? Yeah. Oh, that was one of the most (laughs) exciting things at the start, was like grinding this rock. That's right. What was the surface that you were grinding the rock on? It's on just a piece of card, Oh yeah. no way! Yeah. It sounds so much more
1: immense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds almost like tectonic or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm. but yeah, I've got different microphones. So one is a contact microphone that picks up stuff that touches this particular piece of card. So there's um, yeah a rock that I'm kind of grinding and, and rubbing on it, and uh, and the
2: tuning forks that
1: I hit to it. Um,
2: and also in our first meeting, Alex brought this gorgeous drawing of all of the instruments that she um or, or objects that she was considering incorporating I wish we could show you but um <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's just a sketch of um like a hand-drawn sketch and pencil on pink paper <laughs> and each object has a little description and there's one really long sort of um snake-like looking drawing, (laughs) which is bubble wrap.
0: (laughs) So this was early on, like about two years ago, because the work took some time because of COVID. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was one of the curiosities I had was the, the journey that the work took within those two years, but you're still referring to this early drawing. So, does that mean <laughs> that it hasn't actually shifted much from the original idea, or did it take some surprising turns, something that you didn't think of, or anticipate, uh, or plan at the beginning? Yeah, I mean, I think
1: before. Elia was involved, as I mentioned, the initial proposal because it was for, actually it developed through a residency at UNSW's creative practice unit. And so it was initially about trees. So that was a pretty large Ah, (laughs) shift (laughs) Shift. (laughs) where it was meant to happen in 2020 and then I think I found out about it in 2019 and it was about trees when I wrote the application and then by the time it came around I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, and then it became about objects and materials. And some of the objects from the very beginning stayed. So, yeah, that stayed the same. But there were a few, I guess, I I had initially imagined it might be more like an installation where there were different kind of setups in the stage space with um, maybe like a hanging symbol or a hanging piece of metal in one part and a big bowl of water in another part of the room with a hydrophone in it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought it would be more like performing these objects, but it became a bit more refined or distilled maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I always find it, yeah, it's it's tricky to manage these things because performing with electronics and with, with a laptop as well, I often kind of need a central location in order to control all the effects mm. and all the things that are happening. So, mm. so it did kind of land me in this one spot.
0: <laughs> mm. Mm. We spoke a bit earlier about the idea of sound as a form of touch, of hearing and listening as a form of touch. So Elia, I'm um, curious if you were to describe this work as a texture <laughs> oh. What kind of texture would it be? Uh it's not a single texture. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um no I'm thinking to explain my thought is that we coming back to this idea of like structure and uh organic shapes and um the piece ended up being split into two halves in a way, like broadly. Um, the structure of the piece, and the first part of the piece is very much thinking about the hard structures, the constructions, human structures, built environments, and in terms of spaces, thinking about, like, walls, ceilings, floors. And then the second part of the piece is much more the organic spaces, the waves, spoken word, reading aloud text, birds... Uh, mm-hmm. Color. So there's definitely a, I suppose a contrast from the very beginning to the end,
0: from hard to soft.
2: In a way, yeah. Mm. Actually, yes, exactly. From hard to soft, yeah. Mm. Um,
0: and why? Why? Why is that that choice?
2: I don't. I don't know. I think I, I just. I mean, for me, like whenever I, I always am interested in the, the space between two binary or like polar opposites and there's like a point where we shift from being in one state to another state and that sort of grey area in between I find interesting because it's different for every person. It's very much based on experience and perception and I think exploring that tension has been a huge part of this piece because even though at the very beginning when we have those hard sort of shapes the light is still that very ephemeral and elusive material
0: Mm. that
2: is present throughout. And then in the second half of the piece, where we have these more organic shapes. It's actually much more activated and the light is moving and so it has much more presence in a way, even though it is like a very organically rhythmic material, I guess, in that part. So, yeah, I I, I find that, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, that has been interesting to explore it can't you can't settle on what just one state of being like I think with the lighting in particular the way it presents itself is so um it can appear to be one way but then sitting with that in front of you for a longer period of time it starts to sh- change its quality I suppose
0: mm. yeah but you also start to change your quality yeah which is that phenomenology of experience that it is something new that is shifting and perceiving differently as well mm. with mm. time. Yeah,
2: definitely would say that this piece is designed for the eyes. This became really apparent when we filmed the work mm. and the way that the camera was seeing the light was so different and we had to alter the piece a little bit, you know, just like... Pump up the volume of smoke, for example, <laughs> and um, you know, for the camera eye to see the actual work, and it was just so ah, um, oh, it was just so affirming of like how powerful our perception is, like how powerful our bodily perception is, and especially for sight, like our ability to see in low light. I mean, not compared to other species who have incredible visual <laughs> perception in low light, but I mean, when you really sit in the darkness, our ability to see things expands and with this piece, I hope we're allowing the space for people to really sit with the sound and also with the sight of the architecture and with the light on the architecture and expand their, I guess expand the opportunity to really be in that space and in that moment with all of our senses. Mm. Mm. I like the hard to soft. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yeah.
1: I'd never thought of it like that. But it is. And the more that you, or the more that I was just sitting here thinking about that, I was like, what what does that mean? What is that? Like maybe it's like encountering the object and then Mm. like dissolving into it or something Mm. or some kind of like, you know, friction at the beginning that then by the end hopefully you're Mm. you're a bit more unified with what's going on in the space
0: Mm. yeah which which is what I um, was referring to when I thought about you shifting as well as a perceiver and that dissolving sounds really nice that you kind of dissolve into the work and the boundary between you and the work kind of dissolves as well so it's also like going again underwater and sinking deeper into the work Mm. in a way like diving into it as well. Mm. And then when you earlier spoke about, you know, it's the work for the eye, it's obviously for the ear, but it's also for the skin, Mm. you know, that kind of felt, again, texture of Mm. the work. Mm. Even Mm. feeling sound, Mm. sound waves on your skin, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Euronice Radio 89.7 FM, this is Arts Monday Sympoesis, and we're in conversation with sound artist and musician Alexandra Spence and installation and visual artist Elia Bossard, who are uh, telling us all about their collaborative work, Edge of a Cloud, which you will have opportunity to experience on 28th of November at Phoenix Central Park. In terms of text that you incorporate in your compositions, is this text that is written by you or uh, something that you read from the other text that inspired you in making this work?
1: Yeah, it's a real mix. I'm trying to find it. If I have it here with me, actually. I don't think I do anymore. Oh, no, I do. Yeah, right here. Um, It's a real mix of incorporating the words of Virginia Woolf, so based on the kind of excerpts that I took previously and the sections of uh, text about colour, sound, light. Um, And then also over that period of time, I'd been doing a bit of writing about, I don't know, I guess from different places I kind of collated all these bits of writing that I'd done that related to the ocean. And so there were things like, a friend of mine had asked me to keep a dream journal, so stuff from from that at the time. And another friend during the pandemic had asked a bunch of people to write um, once a month uh, just a kind of daily account. So kind of mundane, or well, not necessarily mundane, but just like everyday experiences or encounters with the ocean. And I was also reading these different texts like Vibrant Matter um, and thinking about subject object boundaries, so the text. I, I wanted to find a way to kind of mix all these different things together. I'm not sure if that makes sense. But yeah.
2: <laughs> you layer the text, is that right? There's like repeated phrases, but then
1: Yeah, at the end there's the in the second half. So in the beginning there's oh, this yes. text where I'm reading from um mainly my own writing influenced by all these different thoughts. And then at the end, there's a section where it's a layering of different sentences that are looped, and the sentences are bits of Virginia Woolf's text, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they've kind of got their own rhythm to it, which Mm -hmm. is quite nice, Mm -hmm. um, because it's just like a looped bit of text over and over again, and there's four of them, I think, yeah.
0: I might leave us uh, today with a track of yours called Blue Waves just on the team of water, I decided to play that. Um, anything you would like to tell us about that one before we hear it? Uh, this
1: track came out last year on a Room 40 release, and it was from an album called Blue Waves, Green Waves. I guess one thing that we've kind of talked around is just that the ocean has been a big influence on my work and just on me as a person in the last few years and particularly during the pandemic when um, I wasn't or lots of people weren't able to access it and just realising it's part in my life and also a fascination with what goes on in, in the Pacific Ocean ecologically and politically and socially, how things move across the ocean and how we import things and how rubbish gets lost into the ocean and species try to communicate and
0: This is Blue Waves by Alexandra Spence on ESA Radio 89.7 FM.